Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant, and with me I've got Dustin Bray. He's a firefighter at New Braunfels Fire Department in Texas. We're going to be talking about a grab they made in July of 2021. Uh, so welcome, Dustin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Cool. Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I work for New Braunfels Fire Department. Uh, we're kind of a larger middle-sized city about 90,000 plus growing pretty fast in central Texas. Uh, currently we have six stations, uh, one of those being a heavy house, being a, having a truck engine and a medic. Uh, all of our stations are staffed with a fire-based EMS, so we run two on an ambulance and then uh, minimum staffing is three on an engine and three on our trucks. Uh, we cover about 100 square miles, which includes some ESD, some county area that we cover. And then, uh, like I said, we have six ambulances staffed every day uh, with two personnel, one being an engineer. And then we run a uh, two-captain uh, crew on a shift with lieutenants at every station. Captains are on the trucks, which are slash quints. And then uh, we have an EMS officer and a battalion chief running through the department on a daily basis. So what do you guys get? Uh, regular alarm, structure fire, what do you guys get as far as resources go? So for us, if everybody's available, the normal dispatch is going to be three engines, two trucks, uh, two medic, two ambulances, and then uh, EMS three, which is our EMS officer, and then our battalion chief. And then uh, how you guys are doing your, uh, you guys pre-arrival, instant command driven, how do you guys do what you do on a fire ground? Right. Most times, uh, the way our battalion chief station, he's kind of on the edge of town instead of the center of town. So first arriving, most time takes command, uh, depending on what the situation throws down, size up, uh, gives us a heads up, kind of gives what resources he wants and wants, wants to follow. Um, and then as the battalion chief gets on scene, <clears throat> more than likely he'll take over command and then he'll start running the show and uh, let us do what we need to do based on our assignments. We're prearranged on assignments. So first in, more than likely, is uh, going to be your fire attack. Second in is water supply. Third is going to be step up to RIT, if any other resources. And then first arriving truck is going to be mainly our rescue. And then second in truck is going to be uh, vent and secondary search if needed, uh, depending. Uh, that EMS-3, that officer, uh, he shows up and helps run command and does accountability with the battalion chief. And then first medic attaches to whoever the attack is. And then second medics are rehab. Uh, what's the delay between first arrival and then truck getting searches done for you guys? So really it's dependent. Uh, and I say that based on our truck is in the center of our town. And so if you kind of do a wagon wheel theory backwards, uh, we really get to places pretty fast, but I would say there's at least three to five minutes, uh, from getting onto scene. Uh, most places, most trucks and engines drive pretty fast in the sense that they get there to get the job done. But I would say on a normal run-of-the-mill structure fire that's in a, in a decent area, I would say that um, our truck is probably searching within that three and a half minutes of the first arriving engine. What's it take to get on a truck company for you guys? Anything special? Do they focus on different skills or is it uh, kind of a gen pop? 
it, it's kind of gin pop. Um, we don't have any uh, rostering where we say that certain people have to be on our trucks. Uh, those officers do take that pride in running a truck company and they train the guys that are stationed there. Uh, if we have kind of a mixed bag of guys working or girls working that day, uh, we will move people around to have more experience on our truck because we do carry the rescue tools on the truck also. Uh, we run a platform and a stick. Uh, so there's some kind of different techniques and things we do there. Uh, but outside of having, you know, a certain resume, there's not one other than the, the captains are assigned to that. So we expect a little bit higher knowledge from them based on both search and ventilation. What did you say the uh, staffing was on your truck companies? Minimum is three. We uh, like to see four when we can. Uh, but the way kind of hiring and people leaving, retiring, things like that, it's, it's been tough to keep four consistently on, the, on those apparatus. Well, I certainly get it. You're not unique in that. So <laughs> walk us through what uh, searches look like for truck companies. Are you guys doing oriented search, split search, uh, vent enter search, a combination of all of the above and, and kind of talk to us about that. Yeah, we kind of do a combination of both. Uh, we practice VIS, especially in, in my station downtown with a trunk company. Uh, we work hard on the VIS. We kind of set up some props and, and get that experience and those reps so that we know what we're doing and what we're looking for. Um, we also do oriented based on what the captain wants. Uh, one of the issues we have, we try not to do split search unless the other truck company, we don't see a need for ventilation and they'll do a split search with us. One of the issues we have, we don't drive apparatus uh, in bunker gear and we don't also treat medical patients in bunker gear unless it's very, uh, it's needed. And that comes into play on this call. Um, so most times there's a little bit of delay of the engineer showing up on scene driving the apparatus. If we're not going to vent, then they have to spend that 30 to 40 seconds to bunk out to join in on the search. And so most times we've already got two crew members at the front door gaining entry to do a search. Uh, that makes sense. So take us to July 21st, 2021 and talk to us about this call. Uh, so yeah, this is just a normal run the mill of the day for us. Um, I was stepped up to Lieutenant that day. Right now I'm an engineer in the fire department. Had kind of a mixed crew had a firefighter with me that I've worked with for a couple of years now, uh, had a engineer on overtime that I had worked with on and off, but probably has 25 plus years in the department. And we actually went to an EMS call, uh, right prior to this. So no bunker gear on, uh, go to EMS call, show up, go inside to treat the patient. And one of the medics told me, Hey man, I smell like something's burning. I think our box, we got a short or something I said, okay, check it out kind of smell what he smells. We go in, treat the patient, come out, and uh, we clear that call. And so for us, we clear that call at 16.24. And uh, after we clear that call, looking back, we're three blocks away from where the structure fire happened. And so uh, we pull out, head back to the station because we were on a district. So we're in or out back. And within that next minute and a half, we see dispatch pop up that we have an active structure fire. Um, we don't know that there's a victim just yet. Uh, we just see it, so we punch ourselves in route and realize that we don't have bunker gear on, we start bunking out. Uh, I'm a big safety conscious guy, didn't want to take my seatbelt off, so I had bunker pants up to my mid-thigh. Um, told my firefighter get his bunk down as best he could uh, while being safe. And so we literally make the three blocks uh, to the house. 
uh, as we're rolling down the road, we can see smoke, know we've got a working structure fire, uh, pull that in on the notes before we arrive to give everybody a heads up that we do have something working. Uh, as we pull up, it was heavy smoke coming from the eaves. We had a garage door open, smoke bellowing out of that. No active fire could be seen at the time we pull up. Uh, right before I pull up, I tell my crew that, hey, we're, we've got a victim. Uh, we've lost contact with him. We believe he's near or was trying to make his way to the front door. I said, uh, let's, we're just going to go rescue. Don't worry about pulling a line. Uh, asked my engineer. I said, when you get set up, you hit the air brake, charge the, pull us an inch and three quarter, have it ready for us. Uh, we're going to go in and rescue and, and take care of business. So uh, firefighter jumps off, finishes bunking out. He hits the front door, uh, forces entry. In that time frame, I am finishing bunking out myself. Like I said, I didn't have anything on just yet other than my bunker pants up to my mid-thigh. I get bunked out. He has a door forced open. Uh, when I turn to, to uh, put my regulator on, he has stepped back a little bit, shut the door. He communicates to me that the house is just full of smoke. He can't see very minimal visibility. He did a, about a three-foot sweep inside the door, didn't feel anybody. Uh, and so I made the decision, well, let's just keep going. We're going to find him. Uh, so we make entry in, swing the door open. My firefighter goes first. He makes it about six, eight feet in, uh, yells out that he's found somebody. I approach him. <clears throat> excuse me. We find patient laying there. Uh, he's rolled over on his belly, covering his face with his arms and his hands. Um, we try to kind of shake him, see if he's awake and alert. Uh, he's not. We go to roll him over. Uh, to pull him out of the building. And as soon as we roll him over, he fights us and rolls back onto his belly. Uh, we realized too, at this point, that he's a very large individual. Uh, he was about 69 years old, if I remember right. Um, so we tell him, I tell my firefighter like, hey, let's just do this. We're forcing back over. We'll pick him up just with a two-person carry and we'll pull him out. Um, we roll him over. As I get down closer to realize he's at this point, I would say unconscious. Uh, I was going to pick him up like you would a, just an old school combat carry, lean him up, get underneath his arms, have my uh, partner pull his legs. At that point, when I realized how big of a person he was, it wasn't going to be that feasible. Uh, I'm just a shy around buck, buck 90. <laughs> so uh, this guy per medical was over 350 pounds. Um, so the best thing I could do was I just knew I had to drag him out. Um, so I grabbed his arms and interlocked his hands with mine, lifted him up as high as I could to, to get his head and most of his torso up off the ground, probably had his hands up around my shoulders. I'm a relatively tall guy. So I got some, some height out of that and, uh, told my firefighter, let's go. And I just started dragging. Um, we went out, like I said, he was about six, seven feet inside the door. We went out the front door and I dragged him probably another 12 feet out to the front yard. Uh, got him there, laid him down. He kind of was making visual eye contact with me. Uh, at the same time, I realized my firefighter wasn't standing with me at the feet. So uh, I immediately look over at the front door. I see my firefighter coming out the house. I look over to my left. I see my engineer actually spraying water in the garage. I already had a hose line charged on the ground. Um, so I ran over to him, told him to go take medical on the patient we just pulled out, check him out. And then me and my firefighter went in the garage, tried to do a quick knockdown, see what we could do. Um, that probably lasted maybe 30 seconds. 
came back out. And uh, as I was coming back out in the front yard to see what my engineer and, and uh, what was going on, he had a look on his face that I, I've seen before, and it was not a good sign. So I walked over to him, approached him, and uh, I walk up. I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, I, I think you just coded. I don't have a pulse. I was like, okay. I got down, started doing CPR. Uh, we started doing treatment. And at that time, units started really checking in, finally on scene. Um, it was probably, I have a time here. I think we were about maybe two minutes from victim out to EMS arriving to take patient care. Um, so we worked in there. Uh, finally had to get him out of the front yard due to, we had, uh, excuse me, vertical venting going on. We were kind of in a hazardous place. Got him loaded up in the stretcher and got him moved into an ambulance. Uh, they continue to work him. Got a pulse back uh, probably 30, maybe 25, 30 minutes after him, him being out. Uh, they transported to SAMHSA, which is our trauma hospital for burns in San Antonio. And they got him there. And he was there and probably stayed there for about 25 days until he passed. Uh, just a lot of comorbidities on top of some burns to his back, hands, and uh, some leg burns. A couple questions I got for you. Uh, do you yep. guys medically do anything, cyano kit, treat any of that smoke inhalation? Yes, we do. Uh, we do cyano kits. Uh, he ended up getting one, of course. Uh, we intubated very soon just in case he did uh, breathe in any hot super gases. There wasn't a lot of swelling, they said, on scene. Uh, but like I said, I didn't get to treat him the rest of the way. Um, he, like I said, the burns that we could see, he was fully clothed with long sleeve shirt and pants. Uh, the burns on the back, we actually didn't find for a couple of minutes once he was in the ambulance. Um, but they innovated him soon, got him uh, RSI so that they could do what they needed to. Um, they ended up, like I said, got a pulse back. I believe he coded one more time on the way to the hospital. They did, were successful in getting a pulse back, getting ROSC again. And then, like I said, he was in, they, I ended up being, I believe, like 35% burns to his body, uh, mainly his, his back and legs. Um, but, you know, we were hoping that it would be a good turnaround and come out, but it just, with the other comorbidities, it was pretty tough. How did you, you said you knew there was somebody inside from arrival to uh, relaying that to your crew? How'd you find that out? So, like I said, we were so close that CAD notes weren't populating. So on our dispatch, we get, you know, our, our notes that pop up as dispatchers are taking info. That information was coming late in our game just because of how close we were. Um, the, the phone call, we cleared our scene for our medical call at six, I've got some notes here, 1624. Uh, we were physically toned down at 1626. So in that two minutes of the dispatcher taking info, uh, nothing was populating just yet. Uh, we arrived at 1628. And in, so in four minutes, we found out that the patient, there was a patient, he was actively cooking in his house. He slipped and fell. Uh, sounded like there was some type of fire. He was being overwhelmed with smoke. And then the very last note we got <clears throat> was that he was trying to make his way to the front door and that he could hear sirens. And then there was a disconnect. And he stopped answering at that 1628 right when we arrived. And then uh, we have a timestamp of about 1631. He was out in the front yard. Dang, that's quick. So yeah, he was close. Let's talk about drags a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. You said he was big. You had the audible from your initial plan. Um, kind of talk me through a little bit more what you were thinking and uh, 
how that impacted you like moving forward in your search plans or if you're talking with the guys at the station uh, what lessons are you passing on with that yeah I mean uh hands down him being head first towards the door you know kind of helped us a lot in the sense of you know he's going to get extricated that way out the front door it was it was going to be the easiest way for us uh my partner I had he was already down at the patient's feet and so kind of playing that audible, like we were just going to kind of pick him up and, and carry him out, uh, realizing how big he was and kind of a time crunch in our world because we were knocked down by the smoke ourselves and the heat in the house. It was, it was kind of that mindset of taking the time for us both to get to his side and maybe do like a chair carry or something like that wasn't just going to work. Um, I'm more just in my mind was in the rep of, hey, he needs to get out. He doesn't have what we have on. The sooner we get him out, the better off he'll be. Uh, the heat was kind of building a little bit while we were in there. And so knowing that for me to get down on my hands and knees, kind of get him set upright, uh, being that big was going to be a lot more work than, in, than I could probably do at that point in time, just with the adrenaline dump and knowing that I can, I can get him out. Uh, so it was kind of just my thing of, of pulling that audible. Like I just grabbed his hands and, and go for it. Um, with that much adrenaline, it was, I would say it's almost was easy uh, until you realize how far you actually drag that large of a person, uh, especially when it comes to dragging him through the grass uh, and start friction starts catching up uh, real quick. Um, did, did the burns make him slippery at all? Or what was that grip like for you? Well, it was, it was actually really good. I was actually uh, amazed because he did have a little bit of probably first degree, maybe getting second degree on the backside of his hands. Um, but the way I had, I had grabbed, I just held on with everything I had. Uh, I had a little bit of leverage. Like I said, I've got a little bit of height. So I was able to get his arms uh, up over my shoulders almost and get his body up. So there was only about half of his body was dragging uh, and, and just pull with everything I had. Like I said, we didn't notice the burns on his back uh, until EMS had truly looked him over in the back of the ambulance. Uh, his legs, I noticed something. He had blue jeans on and I could tell there was burn marks on the blue jeans, but you know, with, with everything going on at the time, we didn't, that wasn't our job to sit there and truly do a full assessment on him. But yeah, he wasn't, he didn't have any sloughing or anything like that yet. So in the name of preparation, what do you do with your crew or yourself now to better prepare yourself for those big ends that you're going to have to get out? Hey, anything you're, you're doing different? It, I think more of it's just the mindset of what everybody's got as an idea. Like, Hey, what do y'all think about this? Um, you know, I carry webbing in my pocket uh, as a way to pull another firefighter out if I had to. Um, that never crossed my mind once with that patient of, of putting webbing on him somehow and helping us. Uh, we've we've kind of gone around the table of ideas and thoughts of what we would do. Uh, you know, if that guy was upstairs uh, or we had to transition multiple steps anywhere in the house, it, it would have taken more personnel. I think Colin Early, if we would have been deeper in that home, uh, it was about a 2,200 square foot home, if I remember right, with a lot of bedrooms and a lot of hallways. Uh, you know, it may have been, hey, we need more people in here to help us um, or get the, the crew with a rip pack in to help just get him in a safe place, get him some oxygen, and then, and then move him out when we have more personnel. Uh, I think the last thing I was thinking was you, got, you had to gear up clearing yep. a medical call. Are you yeah. changing the way you keep your gear with you in the rig after that? No, no honestly not. Because uh, when I am in that position of a stepped up officer, uh, my boots 
are always right at my feet. So getting that on, my coat's always laid next to me in a way that I can get it. My BA mask is always hooked up to my SCBA. Uh, I've really worked on trying to perform and perfect masking up with gloves on, uh, which I was able to perform uh, on that call. And it, it's a life-saving time management, amazing tool. Um, I think that helped. There was a ring doorbell on that house that I was trying to get our fire investigator to get because I wanted to see what kind of yard sale was going on in the front seat of that truck when I was in and out, in and out, trying to get all my stuff and dressed. Um, it, it makes me wish that I could wear at least my pants all the time. Cause I know that's, you know, that's a 10 second shave off, if not more. Um, but it's hard being in that front seat, being that close. Uh, it's I've stepped up multiple times in my career and some good experience, but all the other things that have to go with like showing up on scene and calling command and, and saying what we got and doing all that stuff, you know, that takes that little 10 or 15 seconds that I could be getting dressed and getting ready. So uh, my firefighters quick was able to get the door popped and was waiting for me and, and he wasn't delayed at all and was able to do a little sweep. So um, I think the biggest thing is I wish we could have our bunker pants on more often, but for those calls, we just can't. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I know sometimes we practice uh, gearing up to get out the door quick. And I'm big on setting your gear uh, to, to facilitate that. But, you know, another cool drill is once in a while, just practice gearing up in your seat. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as easy or, or practice gearing up where you pull your seatbelt off for, for five or 10 seconds, put it back on. And just to see how much room you need, how much time it takes, um, you know, something interesting to see to give you a baseline of where you're at. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you don't realize how small those seats are until you got to put your gear on. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Dustin, you got anything else, um, to share lessons learned on this? No, I mean, I think being on, being ready, uh, I think in the sense without dispatcher notes, you know, they, they save us a lot, but, uh, you can't always take them. If we would have stepped off the truck and never seen that, you know, uh, I think back to myself, would I have attacked it different? Would I have went in the garage and fought fire instead of actually doing a search and waited for my truck company? And, and maybe that's not the, the right thing sometimes. Sometimes we ought to maybe take the mindset of maybe a little bit of search needs to be done first right off the bat. Well, very cool. Uh, well, that wraps it up for this episode. If you make a grab or assist, alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. This information is for us, by us, and updated real time. If you'd like to share your story, uh, of your grab on the podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe, uh, Justin McWilliams, or Nick Ladine. And until next time, thanks for listening.